0: Amen. Amen. You know, I, I really appreciate our staff uh, for putting together this Say Yes campaign. And uh, really what we're asking our, our folks to do is to volunteer to help impact these young lives for Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, in the, in the coming weeks and months, I, I don't know if you know it, um, but our church has been blessed with lots of babies, okay? And um, I, I think that's a huge thing. And I'm so thankful that God trusts us with the most vulnerable in our society. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but there have been like, like nine ladies that have been pregnant this this year, okay? And so we've had a lot of baby showers, and we got more to come and, and that kind of thing. But I think we do need to have the water checked or something. But, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a blessing, though, when God does that miracle of new life. And, and these young couples, they're doing their part to grow the church, okay? And so um, we, need to, we need to do our part, too, in, in helping uh, teach these young ones. And so out in the Great Hall, there's this um, display out there. And each one of those cards represents a time slot, either on a Sunday morning during Sunday school, on Sunday morning during our worship time together, or on Wednesday evening. Okay, so I, I would be very pleased if all of those cards were taken by different people so that we all serve back in that area. I'm gonna be serving in there in Sunday school uh this month in October, also again in November, and so I hey we all have to do our part, okay? And so I hope that you will do your part um in, in doing that as well. But we need everyone serving our Lord and the body of Christ. You know, um, uh, we're going to be in Leviticus uh, for a little bit, and then we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 12, but um, the, uh, <laughs> I listened to a sermon uh, podcast this week uh, from Wayne Cordero, and he made a statement that I haven't really been able to shake, and uh, I, I hope that it sticks with you as well. And this is what he said. He said, life will not give you what you want, neither will it give you what you think you deserve. Life will give you what you're willing to settle for. Life will not give you what you want. It will not give you what you think you deserve. It will give you what you are willing to settle for. And and he told this story uh, to make the point. He said there was a college freshman named Smitty and he became the field goal kicker for the football team. And he was uh, out there and it was, you know, they put him in to to kick the game winning field goal. And when he got in the huddle, something just, you know, got a hold of him. And he thought, you know what, this is my moment. I'm going to change the play. And so he decided that when they hiked the ball to him, he was going to run with the ball and make a touchdown. And so they hiked the ball to him and he, 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 you know, got the ball and he started running and he, he got clobbered and he fumbled the ball. And, 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 uh, you know, it was, it was crazy because somebody from the other team picked it up and, and took off and man, he was, he was running and nobody could touch this guy. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere comes this one player, just like lightning speed and he tackles the guy and, and, and the, and the assistant coach, he kind of looks at him. He says, man, did you know Smitty had wheels like that on him? And the coach said, no, I didn't. But here's the deal. He said, um, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you why the other guys were running because they were supposed to, but Smitty was running because his life depended on it. Oh, man, we need to do that. We need to be that way. We need to be running the race like our life depends upon it because it does. I would say this, we must live wholeheartedly for Christ because the lives of others depend on it. You know, we've been talking the last few weeks about uh, the one another's in the Bible. And we started off with love one another and, and befriend one another. And, and today I want to uh, talk about being fair. Uh, to one another. And, um, you know, the Bible says that we're to love our neighbors. In in Leviticus uh, nineteen eighteen, 18, um, it says this. It says, you shall uh, not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then also in uh, Leviticus 25, 14, it says this. It says, if you make a sale, moreover to your friend or buy from your friend's hand, you shall not wrong one another. You shall not wrong one another. And you know, this is, that includes this fairness, if you will, uh, in all of our dealings and in and, and how we treat one another. And, and, and this is an exhortation and encouragement to be honest in our business, In the business practices that we have, to be honest with that, and I know it's easy sometimes for people to flex their financial uh, muscle and to wrong one another. Um, But look, it's okay to make a profit off of selling some land or selling a vehicle or something like that as long as you're not misrepresenting, as long as you're not deceiving, as long as you're not frauding someone, okay? And, and, And we're all familiar with the term good neighbor, and some of you are probably thinking about Jake from State Farm right now. But, um, you know, that, that's not who I'm talking about. However, today, when we th- say, think about a good neighbor, uh, that's usually considered a oxymoron. Okay? When we talk about a good neighbor, we live in a world that has a fortress mentality, that, that we, we live, um, you know, barricaded behind doors and gates and we're insulated by the hum of, of air conditioners and, uh, and the drone of cable news updates. And we do much of our shopping online. We almost don't have to see anybody. And so we're, we're, we have this isolation, you know, and, and, and I want to say that isolationitis is a modern day leprosy that keeps neighbors as strangers. I mean, I I think this is huge. How can we be a fair neighbor? I'm not talking about fair in like fair, good, excellent, okay? I'm talking about fair like as in being one that is um, right and and righteous in all of your dealings. You know, how, how do we do that? How do we, how can we be a fair neighbor? I mean, to be honest, most of us probably don't even know our neighbors, okay, those that live in proximity to us. And, and, and I would like to explore some of these verses out of, out of Romans 12 that speak to the idea of treating uh, one another fairly. You know, life is not fair. We understand that. And if somebody told you that life is supposed to be fair, they lied to you. But the bottom line is we can be fair with other people in our dealings. And that's what God is asking us to do and to be. But I want to I want to pray and then I want to look at a few of these verses in Romans 12, but let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. And I ask God that you would impress upon our hearts the truth of your word. And Father, that, that you would be with each one of our hearts as the Holy Spirit, um, passed this, uh, inspired these words, uh, through, through men to write them down. And I pray, Father, that as we hear these words, Father, that, that it would be convicted, uh, we would be convicted in our heart of your truth. And, and Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just, uh, guide us to where you want us to be. And Father, that we would be open to your Holy Spirit's direction this morning. Father, we, we, we bow before you. We open our hearts and minds before you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You know, here's just a few truths that I wanna share with you about uh, concerning being fair. The first one is this, is that we need to be humble enough to recognize the worth of others, We need to be humble enough to recognize the worth of others. And in Romans chapter 12, verse three, it says this. It says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. Really what that tells me is that all people are valuable to God all people all people are valuable to the body of Christ and when we're talking about humility and 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 defining that Andrew Murray calls it the place of entire dependence upon God Where, where, where you are entirely dependent upon God for everything humility see this idea of thinking more highly is more than just a random thought it's a chosen way of thinking. <laughs> we have a problem with this because we think too highly of ourselves most of the time. We think we're all that, you know, and, and, and the, the bottom line is we choose to think that way. We choose to think that we are better than others. We choose to think that we aren't quite that dumb, that we aren't quite what they are, but that we would choose differently but the bottom line is, is we choose what we think about, and we choose this the way we think. And, and you can't think this way uh, highly of yourself if our minds are being renewed by the word of God. If our character is being transformed, we cannot think highly of ourselves. You see, we can't think that way because our renewed way of thinking is not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I mean, don't think more highly of yourself in your function in the body, body of Christ. Well, I'm the pastor. Oh, surely, surely I could think a little more highly of myself. Folks, we're not to think highly, no matter what our gifts are, no matter where we are in the body of Christ. You know, when it comes to relating to one another, you could just go right down the list. We don't need to think more highly than we ought to of ourselves. See, in his excellent little book, From Pride to Humility, Stuart Scott, he says this. He says, when someone is humble, they are focused on God and others and not themselves. I think that's huge. Even their focus on others is out of a desire for, to love and to glorify God. A person's, a humble person's goal is to elevate God and to encourage others And in short, they they no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So be humble enough to recognize the worth of others. Secondly, I would say this, be saved enough to be useful. Be saved enough to be useful. I get it. In in one sense, you know, being saved is kind of like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. Okay. But what I'm, I am saying though, is a lot of times people say they are believers in Jesus Christ, but they're not in far enough to actually be useful for his kingdom. They bought their fire insurance. Okay. And and they're good. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to serve. Don't ask me to sacrifice. I'm just going to do this. So be saved enough to be useful. Uh, Romans 12, verse 6 through 8 says this. It says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us, hmm, not some of us. It says each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, you know, in my, in my years of studying God's word, I've found few subjects where there is more widespread difference of opinion than that of spiritual gifts, I mean, different authors, they define the various gifts in different ways. And there's a debate as to whether all the gifts are still functioning today or whether some of the gifts, the sign gifts that ceased after the apostolic era. And there are different views on how many gifts each person has or how we discover our gifts. And some people even offer gift inventories, if you will, by which you're supposed to determine what your gift is, your spiritual gift. And, and, and others say that it's wrong to emphasize, to try to discover your spiritual gift, and, and, and what my, the, I'm going to boil this down and say our spiritual gifts differ. I'm gifted differently spiritually than some of you. Some of you are gifted differently than I am. And my point is this, use your gifts. Stop being a consumer when it comes to the kingdom of Christ. Here's what we do. Oh, we're going to let the professionals do it. We're going to let somebody that's paid do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to show up on Sunday morning. We're going to come. We're going to get fed. We're going to be fed a a good meal. And then we're going to go home and live the rest of the week. That is not the way Christ died for the church. He wants all of us using our gifts for the good of the body. Not being consumers, not just showing up, paying a few bucks and saying, hey, okay, feed me, take care of me, do your thing. Oh, we're so consumeristic when it comes that way. I mean, we, we, we just want to be taken care of. We, want the, the, we would love it, if Ridge, if you would just kind of spoon feed us, okay? But we all have gifts. And many of us are just sitting back and letting everybody else do the serving. See, humility, humility requires that each function within the area of your own gifts for the benefit of the whole body. I mean, Paul, again, he emphasizes that whatever gifts we have are due to God's grace He gave those to us so there's no room for pride. You can't say, well, look what I'm doing. Look where I'm at. Look at all this. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him and how he has gifted this body. See, God has graciously given gifts to each of us that we're supposed to use to serve others. And we should not despise others' gifts and we should not neglect using our own gifts. And the scriptural use of gifts is required. And here's why. Because if you don't use it, you will lose it. If you don't use it, you will lose it. And so don't lose what you are given. Do you remember the, the, the parable of, the, of the, the guys with the talents? He gave one, he gave five, you know, he gave two, whatever. And, and they were responsible for what they had been given. And they were rewarded by what they did with what they were given. If you've not get, been given the gift of, of being a pastor teacher then you're not gonna be rewarded in that area. But if you've been given the, the, the gift of mercy, if you've been given the gift of service, of helps, of some of these other things, then you're gonna be judged and rewarded by what you did or didn't do with the gift that you've been given. Folks, I just wanna tell you the truth because I know that many of us sometimes just feel like we're just sitting back and we're coasting. And we're not actually using the gifts that God has given us. It's important to remember that almost all of the spiritual gifts have corresponding commandments with them in Scripture for, for believers. And we can't, we can't opt out of doing certain things just because we claim that's not my gift. Oh, well, that's not my gift, Pastor. You know, I mean, I, you think about this there is a gift of exhortation, of encouragement. But we are all to be encouraging to one another. Okay. There's the gift of teaching. But we are all to teach one another and teach our children about the truth of scripture. Some are gifted in evangelism. But we're all commanded to share Christ with others. There's a gift of service, but we, we all have to serve. There's a gift of mercy, but we all show mercy to those who are suffering. And there's a gift of giving, but we're all required to be generous with what God has entrusted to us. Just because we say, well, that's not my gift. My gift is not giving. But it might be, we all have that aspect where we, we need to be generous in that. But listen, our service to the Lord Your service to the Lord, my service to the Lord, is using the gifts he has given, and that is what is rewarded. What we're accountable for is what he has given us. Don't lose. Don't lose what is waiting for you in heaven. So be saved enough to be useful. Thirdly, I would say this, be loving. Be loving enough to be involved. Romans twelve nine says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. <laughs> you know, to discover your gifts, I will say you need to probably get involved in serving in a number of different ministries. You know, I heard someone say something a long time ago that makes a lot of sense. He said that God only directs moving vehicles. God only directs moving vehicles. So so start serving, and if God needs to redirect you, he will. Get involved in what lies closest at hand. Find some place to plug in. And as you serve, you will discover that you enjoy doing some things more than you enjoy doing other things. And along the way, God will direct you to where he wants you to be. See, this doesn't mean that you, you're going to find your area, area of giftedness necessarily easy to do. So we think, well, I'm gifted in this way, so, you know, um, it just should come naturally, that's not the case. Sometimes the things that you are gifted in are not easy to do. I mean, I find teaching God's word difficult and, and, and it's stressful, but like all hard work, there's satisfaction that comes after the work is done. You put your time in, you, you work on it, you, you, you labor over it, and then you enjoy when, when you see the results of, of that hard work. And also, when you serve in an area that you're gifted in, God's going to give you a measure of blessing um, so that others will <laughs> comment and, you know, maybe on how much your ministry means to them. And, and it's interesting because when I first started preaching and teaching the Bible, I was I was surprised when people would let me know something, you know, that that God had used something that I said in their life. Talk about humbling. It's like I didn't know that I was even making a difference. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, that spoke to me. You know, after this happens, a few times I began to discern, well, maybe God wants me to use me in this way. And, 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 and while I enjoy sharing the gospel, sometimes I feel like it hasn't yielded as much fruit as I would have liked. But ministering to believers to help them grow and understand the Christian life has often yielded tremendous fruit. And so I believe that I have the gift of pastor teacher. And so I'm exercising that gift with humility as much as I possibly can in every way that I can. Here's another way to discern your gift that that may even surprise you. (laughs) What do you complain about in the church? What do you complain about in the church? Now listen, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because people tend to complain in their area of giftedness. Seriously. I mean, you think about it. A gifted teacher may complain that the teaching is weak. Those gifted in administration may grumble that the church Is being poorly organized. And those gifted with mercy may gripe that the church neglects our shut ins. Those gifted in evangelism may um, shake their heads at the lack of interest in outreach. (laughs) But, folks, that's the way it is. When we think that we know better or could do something better, but we don't do anything because I don't want to get involved. Be loving enough to be involved. See, the solution, of course, is to quit complaining and start serving in your area of giftedness so that the church will improve in that area. See, by not serving, we're depriving one another. I also should point out that there's not necessarily a correlation between the effectiveness of a person's gift and that person's spiritual maturity. I mean, someone may be a gifted evangelist and he may be spiritually immature so that his life is not a good advertisement, if you will, for the gospel. And the enemy often uses that to bring dishonor to the body of Christ, to discredit we should all be growing in maturity and be careful that if God grants us great results in some ministry that our lives are Christ-like and do not cause a scandal for the gospel. See, genuine love is hands-on. It's sacrificial, it's transformational, and it causes us and calls us to love others sincerely. Sincerely. From the heart, sincerely, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan. He felt compassion, and then he acted in compassion. He felt it here, and then he, he, he acted out he, his behavior engaged that who was who was uh, broken and, and, and ruined, and so genuine love is hands on it 's vulnerable. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable for anybody. But ministry is uncomfortable. You know, when, when you see a need and you go to meet that need, sometimes it's overwhelming. And you're like, man, why am, what am I doing here? This, this person just passed away and I'm standing here at their bedside with their family praying over them. It's uncomfortable, but that's love. That's compassionate love and real love. Genuine love is hands-on. It's vulnerable. It's uncomfortable, and it's personal. Listen, when sin entered into this world, its immediate effect was to damage all kinds of relationships. Adam and Eve They were instantly separated from God. Whose fellowship they had formerly enjoyed and and then guilt, guilt prompted them to try and hide from him. And, 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 they, and they were suddenly estranged from each other. And, and before sin, they were, they were naked and they were unashamed. But once sin was here, they, they felt ashamed of their nakedness and in and, and, and one another's presence. And, and, and after they sinned, they, figged, so they sewed fig leaves together so they could cover their shame from one another. But understand this, sin always damages relationships. And it may not be the one that you think it will damage. Because none of us, none of us sin in a vacuum. We are all affected by each other's sin. So the whole emphasis of the Bible is to show us how to love God with our total being and to love one another's as we love ourselves. But in order to love God. We must first understand that he first loved us. He first loved us. And in in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus came to this earth. He he lived a holy life and he he paid the penalty, the just penalty that belongs to you and me for our sin that we deserve. He paid that for us. And here's the deal. God offers us a clean pardon, a full pardon, and a complete not guilty declaration as a gift to everyone who will trust in his son, Jesus. Jesus. If you've never done that, you need to accept Christ as your savior and Lord today. We live in a crazy world. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen today. We need to belong to Jesus Christ. See, believing the gospel reconciles us to God and it it floods our hearts with his love so that we can begin this lifelong battle of loving him and loving others more And I say it's a lifelong battle because because of sin. Our default mode is to be selfish. It's all about me. I'm going to take care of me. It all has to do with me. And we don't want to sacrifice ourselves for others. In love for God or in love for others. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're in a constant battle to take ourselves off the throne and put Him on the throne in our lives. It isn't automatic, it's a fight. And one of the most practical tests of whether Christ is truly our Lord is seen in our relationships. Are we selfish in our relationships? Am I growing in sincere love from the heart for my family? For my fellow believers and for the unbelievers that I know and have contact with? Am I growing in my love for God and for them? See, sincere love for God always spills over into sincere love for others. You know, the English word sincere, it comes from two Latin words, which mean without wax." Two Latin words that mean without wax. And, you know, back in the day, dishonest merchants, they would, they would fill a crack on a, on a clay pot. They would, they would fill it with wax and then they would put some glaze over the top. And so the buyer would not know if that was, you know, a broken pot or not. And they were trying to deceive them. And upon closer inspection, later when they got home, the buyer would discover that the pot was actually worthless. And so honest dealers would stamp Sin Sarah, no wax on the pot, verifying that it was without wax. Sin Sarah. Paul says that our love for one another isn't to be phony. It's not to be role playing, but rather it's to be the real and genuine thing, the genuine article. But we should genuinely desire God's best for others and speak and act toward that goal. I know I'm going kind of fast over most of this. My last point is this is that we are to be joyful enough to share. Verse 12 and 13 in Romans 12 says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. You know, and in the context of loving one another and serving the Lord, Paul indicates that we will face tribulation and he tells us how to endure it. He says rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. And then he says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. He calls us to be, to this generosity to live generously and with hospitality, which includes sharing our resources. It may mean opening our home up. It may be helping helping with a meal. It may be sharing knowledge that we have. It may be pointing people in the right direction. It may be seeing what we can do and bring to bear on the the need of the moment. But as we consider this, this touchy subject of generosity, I want to remind you again that Paul is 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 not motivating us by guilt. His command in this section is based on uh, the verse, first two verses of this chapter. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. man. In light of all that, 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 all of the teaching that he's done in, in Romans 1 through, chapter 1 through 11, he's saying, this is your spiritual act of worship. Is, is surrendering yourself and, and, and letting yourself be a living sacrifice. Paul is saying that if you have experienced God's many mercies in Christ, then it's only Reasonable that you will give yourself totally to him and live in a manner that is pleasing to him. See, God's mercy and his grace are the motivation to surrender everything to Christ. You know, we talk about that. We talk about our time, our talents, our treasures. Just think about this. If we are going to, to tithe... Our time and our talents and our treasures, we all have the same amount of time per week. We all have 168 hours in the week. What if we tithe our time? Almost 17 hours a week to the Lord. And that's if we're not being generous, if we're being sticklers about it. Do we spend 17 hours in the Lord's work? I'm not saying you got to come and camp out at the church all 17 of those hours. I'm saying being out involved in ministry and, and meeting people's needs and, and, and sharing the gospel and doing the things out in the world. We all have the same amount of time. But folks, we need to look at that. And we, it, It's not out of, of obligation. It's not out of guilt. It's, it, it's out because of his mercy and his grace that has been so lavishly poured upon us. I mean, he uses the same logic in, in second Corinthians eight, nine, where he, where he says this, he says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. In that that context, Paul is appealing to the Corinthian believers to be generous toward some other believers in in Jerusalem who were very uh, poverty stricken. They were very poor. And Paul's appeal is this, Christ's grace in giving himself to us on the cross. When we were spiritually helpless, when we could do nothing and, and when we were destitute, his grace and his love for us should motivate us to be generous with those in need. Not trying to rip them off. That's why it's called being fair. It's giving a fair price for a a, prayer, a, 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 a fair article. You know, it, it, it's being that. And the bottom line is always is that our generosity would glorify God. The generous God who gave his own son that we might be redeemed for all eternity. So Paul is saying that the mercies of God call us to be generous and hospitable. You know, the American dream, I'm almost done, the American dream is To get a good paying job so that you can pile up money and stuff for your own pleasure. But God's way, as Randy Alcorn puts it, is God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. See, your primary responsibility is to provide for your own needs. And those of your family. And Paul doesn't mince words when he talks in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. And he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are pretty strong words. I would say this, believers should do no less I mean, once your family's needs are met, you should think and pray about how the Lord wants you to invest it for eternity in his kingdom work rather than to run out and buy more stuff. I mean, maintaining a Christ-like attitude means rejoicing with those who rejoice and sharing with those who are in need. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, am I treasuring stuff And laying up treasures of stuff here on earth. Or am I treasuring Christ and laying up treasures in heaven. By generously giving to promote his kingdom purposes. Because the mercies of God call us to be generous. Toward the saints. And while I'm talking about this in terms of material possessions. I'm also talking about it in terms of spiritual possessions. Possessions. Are you teaching others what God is teaching you about Him from His Word? See, we're spiritual hoarders. We hoard His blessings and we hoard His knowledge of who God is. And, brothers and sisters, I believe that someday. A day not too far off, we are going to be held accountable for what we've been given. I encourage you to be fair with one another. (laughs) Use your spiritual giftedness for the building up of the body, be involved. Love enough to be involved. (laughs) You know, be saved enough to be useful. Be humble enough to see the worth and recognize the worth in others. See, Christ like believers build harmony by obedient submission to the Master. This is the beginning of becoming what I want to call a great neighbor. Not just a good neighbor, but a great neighbor. You know, as our our worship team comes back, they're going to lead us in a couple of of more songs. And as they do, I, I just want to invite you, invite you to come. You know, all I can say is whatever sense that God is speaking to you today, you know where you are and you know where you are in your relationship with him. All I can say is that you need to surrender to him. If he's saying to give, then you need to surrender to him. If he's saying to go, if he's saying to accept, then you need to surrender to him. I want you to pray with me. And I want you to pray that God would move this church in a mighty way to make a huge difference in Temple, Texas. Would you pray that? It's a dangerous prayer because he may use you and he may use me. But let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you that, that you loved us so much that you just poured your grace out through the Lord Jesus, that, that you gave your son, your one and only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Father, what a, what a wonderful miracle that is. And Father, I know we don't deserve it. And Father, we fall short all of the time. But God, your grace is sufficient for whatever is needed. So Father, if we feel inadequate, your grace is sufficient. Father, if we don't have what we need, your grace is sufficient. Father, I pray that today we would rest in the assurance that we have of our salvation because of Jesus Christ, that we would recognize what a great and mighty God we serve. And Father, that you would do a great work in and through us for your glory, for your honor. Father, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit, would find willing hearts in this place that we would be willing to do whatever it takes to see your kingdom move forward in this generation in this generation that seems to have forgotten who God is in this generation that is perverse in this generation that that openly curses you God i pray father that you would bring a great revival a great awakening to the church, to the bride, to the body of Jesus Christ for your glory and for your honor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.